Thank you so much. Beautiful as always. As many of you know, the General Board of Global Ministries at the United Methodist Church has relocated from New York to Atlanta, Ponce de Leon Avenue, about a month ago. I had a fellow who walked out, had relocated with the General Board that was worshiping with us. We have another guest from the General Board this morning, so we are glad to have you with us. We are thrilled to be part of a connectional church uh, and to be a small part of the great work done by the General Board of Global Ministries. Allison, Carolyn, and I are going down in a couple of weeks, I think, uh, to get a tour of the new facility. We are excited about that, and we are thrilled to have them here in Georgia and in Atlanta and with worship, in worship with us this morning, so welcome. Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 4, verses 23 through 31. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Acts chapter 4. And as always, it's printed on the cover of your bulletin. So as you're able, if you would, please stand in honor of the reading of God's word. After they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard it, they raised their voices to God. And said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and everything in them, it is you who said by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples imagine vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers have gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in this city, in fact, Both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look at their threats and grant to your servants to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated and let us pray. Now, dear Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. We are, as many of you know, uh, entering into our stewardship campaign. Excuse me so much. Sorry. Entering into our stewardship campaign as we do every year. Most of you have been through this before and you know how this works. Many of you already have or you soon will be receiving a commitment card in the mail. Uh, Over the next week, you can prayerfully consider your commitment to the work and mission of the church in 2017. And we'll ask you to bring those back, hopefully next Sunday morning. But if not, you can bring them to the office at your convenience. And it falls to me, as it generally does, to come up with a scripture for the stewardship campaign. Scripture for the stewardship campaign. So I was thinking about this and felt led to the book of Acts. 
So I was looking over the book of Acts, trying to see an appropriate scripture for stewardship. And I settled not in chapter 4, actually, but in chapter 5. There's a great story in chapter 5 that I thought really spoke volumes towards stewardship. It's about a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, Maybe you've heard of Ananias and Sapphira. In the early days of the church, people were selling things, selling property, bringing proceeds, and laying at the feet of the apostles for the work of the church. So Ananias and Sapphira sold some land. So far, so good. They brought some of the money to the apostles. Nothing wrong with that. They gave it, it was actually Ananias specifically who brought that gift. Now that all sounds well and good, except for one small detail. When Ananias brought the money, he said, so the wife and I sold some land, and here is all the proceeds for the sale of the land. It was only some, but he fudged a little bit, and he said it was all. And so then, let me just read you from Acts chapter 5 what happened. Uh, Simon Peter replies to Ananias, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, were not the proceeds at your disposal? How is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You did not lie to us, but to God. Ananias heard these words. He fell down and died. But that's not the end of the story. Later, his wife, Sapphira, who did not know what had taken place, shows up. And Simon Peter says, So, you and Ananias sold some real estate? Yes, we did. And he brought the money to us? Yes, he did. So tell us, did he bring all the money? And she said, yes, he did. And Simon Peter said, you should have used a lifeline because that is the wrong answer. And then scripture says, she too fell down and died. And it says, great fear seized the church. So I'm thinking, stewardship. (laughs) Not to put any pressure on you about turning in your commitment cards next week. But anyway, I decided maybe that scripture would not be quite as motivational as I had hoped. So I backed up a chapter to the passage I read to you, which is the same general time in the life of the church, but just a different scene. It is, as you heard, a prayer, a prayer that the church prayed in face of persecution. Now just let me set it in context for you. You know that in Acts chapter 2 was the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came, the church was born, All was going well. In Acts chapter 3, there's a great story. One of my favorite stories. You've probably heard me mention it before. Simon, Peter, and John, in the glow of Pentecost, as everything is going well, they are on their way to the temple to pray. It says they entered by the gate called Beautiful. Today, that gate is permanently sealed. But it's on the eastern side of the old city of Jerusalem. It faces the Mount of Olives across the Kidron Valley. So if you're coming from anywhere on the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem, that was a popular gate in New Testament times. So they enter the gate, and there's a man lying there who cannot walk. 
So he lies there, and he's begging for money. That's all he can do. Can't work. So he begs. And so Simon Peter and John stop and look at him. And he sees their gaze, and his anticipation level goes up. He thinks, they're going to throw me a coin or two. But that doesn't happen. Instead, Simon Peter says, we don't have any silver, we don't have any gold, but this is what we can offer. Walk in the name of Jesus. And you can imagine the man going, what do you mean walk? I've never been able to walk. And Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And the man gets up, and it says, he starts walking. And not only walking, but leaping, dancing around, praising God. For the first time in his life, he has strength in his legs. Well, this draws a crowd. Everybody knows this guy. They have watched him for days, weeks, months, years, laying at the gate, begging for money. And all of a sudden, today, he's auditioning for Dancing with the Stars. Something is up, right? So they gather around. The preacher in Simon Peter can't pass up a crowd. So he starts to preach. So he preaches this sermon, and it tells us after the sermon, not 10, 20, 100, 1,000, but 5,000 people come to believe in Jesus. That's pretty good preaching, right? 5,000 people come to believe in Jesus. Now, what kind of reward do you think you get for a sermon that converts 5,000 people? For Peter and John, they got arrested. That's what happened to them. They got arrested, thrown into prison where they spent the night. The next morning, they're brought before the officials, and Peter preaches again. And this is what it says the reaction is. This is also in Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 13. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized they were uneducated and ordinary men, they were amazed and recognized them as companions of Jesus. When they saw the man who had been cured standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. So they are arrested, threatened, and released. So they've been arrested and they've been threatened because the people saw their boldness. So they leave, they go back to their friends, and they pray. And what do they pray for? They pray for more boldness. Can you imagine such a thing? It was boldness that got them in trouble in the first place. Will Willimon, now retired bishop in the church, says if that had been him, and I kind of feel the same way, if that had been him, he would have been praying for divine protection. Oh Lord, don't let these people ever arrest me again. No, no. They prayed for the very thing that got them in trouble, being bold in their faith. Lloyd Ogilvie, former chaplain of the United States Senate, says there are three convictions that are clear at the beginning of this prayer, beginning of this prayer. One is they are fully convinced of the sovereignty of God. That's how the prayer starts. It says, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything that's in them. They have a conviction on the sovereignty of God. There's also a conviction that opposition, threats, is a very real part of faith. They quote Psalm 2 in their prayers, which acknowledges the reality of opposition. Then thirdly, Ogilvy says, is an assurance that God is in control of all things. Even what happened with Jesus, 
was according to the plan of God. So in those first few verses of the prayer, he says you see three convictions. Then verse 29, they turn to a request. And now, Lord, look at their threats and grant to your servants to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. In light of the signs and wonders that God is doing, they pray for more boldness. And that is really what spoke to me for stewardship. As they were praying for more boldness in light of the signs and wonders that God was doing. Our stewardship theme for this year is the mission statement of the congregation. Connecting with God's kingdom now. You've heard that a lot this year. You know that now is an acronym for nurture, outreach, and worship. We've seen God do amazing signs and wonders in ministries of nurture, outreach, and worship. Just let me lift up for you some of what we have seen. God doing signs and wonders because of stewardship, because of boldness in the area of stewardship. You think about nurture. It's part of the reason I asked the children what were some of the things that they liked about coming to church. Sunday school, friends, family, worshiping, singing, church friends, food, donuts, candy, uh, and church babies. All good answers. Because of your stewardship, not just of money, because stewardship is about so much more than money. Because of your stewardship in the area of money, but also in time and in your talents and in your gifts. There's a place where children's faith can be nurtured, where the faith of youth can be nurtured, where the faith of adults can be nurtured. God is doing great things, signs and wonders through ministries of nurture. I got a note uh, about four months ago from one of our members who asked us to remain anonymous but gave me permission to share the note. Uh, They had recently suffered a loss in the family. Now, if you've ever suffered a loss or been through a difficult time, you know how important the church family becomes at times like that. It brought to mind, it's been for us, our family, almost 15 years ago now. Susan's father had taken ill very quickly. We got a call in the middle of the night that said, you need to come. So in the middle of the night, we took off and we drove to North Carolina. About a day and a half later, her father passed away. We stayed up there. There was the funeral. Uh, we had heard from, fr- from family and friends back home from our church family. They were marvelous. They reached out to us. But when we got home, we were overwhelmed. When we got home, we realized someone had broken into our house right while we were away. Not to take anything, but to clean the house. Uh, our friends knew that we had literally taken off in the middle of the night. So they broke into our house while we were gone and cleaned the house. So we'd come back to a clean house. The entire church family brought food, sent cards, brought food, came to see us, brought food, lifted us up in prayer. Over and over again, we were overwhelmed. Just about the time we were getting through that, my stepfather, who had been battling cancer, less than eight weeks later, passed away. So within eight weeks, our kids lost two grandfathers. 
Both of those men had spent a lot of time at that particular church. They had come to visit us a lot. The congregation knew them all over again. When my stepfather died, people came. They brought food and they prayed and they brought food and they sent cards and they brought food and they did everything we could think of. We were overwhelmed with the care that they gave us. About a month after that, I had an uncle who passed away. I mentioned to our secretary, my uncle passed away, that I needed to leave town and go to the funeral. And she said, would you like me to put that in the bulletin? And I was torn because we had been so overwhelmed by the outpouring and we, just, we had just been overwhelmed. I said, do this, do this. Just say, David's uncle passed away. The family asked that you pray for his aunt, for his cousin, and that you not bring any food at all. So I get this note about a month ago, about four months ago, from someone in our church who had suffered a loss, expressed some gratitude to the staff for some things we'd done, but talked primarily about all of you, about how you had done those same things and been there through such a difficult time. And in the note, they said what so many people have said to me over the years, I do not know how anyone gets through a time like this without a church family. God doing signs and wonders. And there's so many things we could talk about. We could talk about the, just opening the building, cutting on the lights, cutting on the heat, so that Bible studies can come and meet, so that some support groups can come and meet, so that Sunday school classes can come. All the ways in the life of our church where people's faith are nurtured. That's all because of your stewardship, not only of money, but of time, of gifts, of talents. God is doing signs and wonders in the area of nurture because you create that environment with your stewardship. But also signs and wonders in areas of outreach. Uh, the bishop, after she preached last week, came to the house for lunch. Uh, Carolyn and Allison and their families came. And so we're sitting out on the back porch eating lunch, and our bishop said, so what are those things the church does well? And part of what we talked about was reaching out in our community and beyond, how engaged our congregation is with needs around us. I worked on a list, because I didn't want to leave, I'm still going to leave things out, but I worked on a list of just different ways we are involved in reaching out in our community and beyond. Our quarterly blood drive, special offerings that we do for things like our conference homeless council, United Methodist Committee on Relief, Wesley Woods, Murphy Harps, Aldersgate Homes, the United Methodist Children's Home, uh, our annual Great Day of Service, our summer lunch program, Sunshine Vacation Bible School, Thanksgiving meal boxes, Angel Tree, Christmas shoe boxes, Methodist men, Methodist women. Uh, we financially support Armed Forces Mission, AV Pride, Fayette Samaritans, Fayette Thrift Store, Impact Racing, Promise Place, Southwest Christian Hospice, Square Foot Ministries, and on and on. Sent people to Safe House, to Henderson Settlement, sent people on mission trips just this year to El Salvador, to Belize, sponsoring missionary families in South. Southeast Asia, as well as South Africa. Uh, not to mention packaging over 30,000 meals in our gym not too long ago for Stop Hunger Now. And more, and more. And eight days ago, the Christmas Marketplace, which earned nearly $12,000, every penny of which will go to support so many of these local ministries right here in Fayette County. God is doing signs and wonders in the area of outreach because of your stewardship. One thing that is not on the list is Bloom. You have an insert in your bulletin about Bloom today. And instead of me mentioning Bloom, 
we've asked Bill Webb, a former chair of their board, to come and share for just a few moments about the ministry of Bloom that we all as a congregation support. So, Bill, if you would. Thank you for this opportunity. These children are near and dear to me. I was had the honor of being on the board of the Fayette Youth Protection Home from 2004 to 2012. And as a time, I learned a whole lot. Um, I learned repeatedly that children need the attention of their parents and the attention of caring adults. And through parents and caring adults, children find approval, acceptance, nurture, structure, boundaries, and that divine spark, love. I also had the blessing from 2006 to mid-2016 of regularly visiting the youth home on a monthly basis during the last two years. Ben Smith and Karen and Carol and I took a Christ-centered program at a meal to the home. I learned these youth do not feel sorry for themselves. They want to belong and to matter. We heard the youth pray. Some prayers we heard were for a mom on meth or a dad in jail. We heard prayers for brothers and sisters from whom they were separated. We heard prayers for the next time they face a judge. We heard prayers for their ability to handle the next algebra test or for finding a place they could call home. When I first joined the board, I learned that Fayetteville First is a phenomenal pillar of support for this organization now known as Bloom. The church hosted our board meetings. Since Aston Johnson and Jim Friday founded the organization, many members of this church have embraced Bloom's mission uh, in former times and in current times. In former times, Judge Martha Stevenson, Linda Lewis, Sharon Singletary, Rick Halbert, and more recently, Leslie Wade, a former president of Bloom, Lauren Davis, executive director, Becky Davenport, and Rosemary McIntyre, through the years I've witnessed, and, and many others, through the years I've witnessed these leaders put on golf tournaments, bloom balls, and other fundraisers. I've seen them volunteer to lead the Fayette Youth, the, excuse me, the Fayette Thrift Shop, which through love and incredibly intense labor has donated over a million dollars during a 25-year period to bloom. All of us want children to have good childhoods, full of wonder, fun, and discovery, but sadly, we know for some that's not the case. What happens to children of families who cannot provide basics like a roof overhead, food, clothing, medical care, transportation, and education? Bloom steps up. Earlier this year, Bloom discontinued its support of the home in Brooks to focus on areas in which it had a greater impact for more children. From my experience, often Ben, Karen, Carol, and I would go to the home and visit five or fewer children. The capacity is 10 children. The change after much prayer and discussion has helped Bloom now to provide shelter and case management services to 60 children and the number is growing. Bloom also, as many of you know, has created a fabulous retail store-like environment known as the Bloom Closet. The Bloom Closet provides a wonderful experience for youth who come here from all over the state as they pick out nice clothes at no cost to them. This past year, the Bloom Closet has provided free clothing and essentials to over 2,000 foster children from 60 Georgia counties. Bloom's foster care program is currently licensed to serve base level children, medically fragile foster children, 
therapeutic children with significant emotional and psychiatric needs, as well as pregnant or parenting foster teen girls. There's a desperate need in the state of Georgia for foster homes. Currently, there are over 14,000 foster children available and 4,000 homes. If you are interested in becoming a foster parent with Bloom, you're invited to an informational meeting on January the 22nd from 3 to 5 right here at Fayetteville First. If you're not in position to become a foster parent but can help in other ways, you're invited to that same meeting. In addition to a need for foster parents, Bloom needs respite care homes, which give foster parents some needed time to themselves. Volunteers in the Bloom, Bloom closet, babysitters, donations of gently used children's clothing from babies through teens. These children are heart grabbers. They need less turmoil, more nurture, and examples of caring adults who make caring decisions. If you feel a tug at your heart for these children, support Bloom with your household finances and in your positions of responsibility here at the church. Make room for Bloom with your time, talent, and treasure. You can be an answer to some of the prayers we heard earlier. Thank you so much, Bill, for sharing today, for your work in this ministry over the course of years, and for sitting through this sermon three times with a smile on your face. Thank you. Thank you for that as well. But thank you so much for sharing today. Uh, a lot of you know that when I got here a year and a half ago, I had not been here long when Margaret McDaniel passed away and she had been really involved with the thrift store. And her daughters were telling me that she had been involved with this thrift store that had raised over a million dollars for Bloom. And I thought, there's no way. But it is, because that's the heart of this community and this congregation. So thank you so much. God is doing amazing signs and wonders uh, in the area of outreach. Also in worship. Quickly, we cannot forget worship. We gather together here every week. You know that. Corporate worship is certainly important. But worship is about so much more than what we do in this hour. Worship is to be a way of life throughout our entire life. Not just an hour a week, but all throughout our week. One of the ways that as a congregation we try to help encourage that is with this little book, uh, The Upper Room Devotional Guide. I, I don't know how long it's been since I held one in my hand until recently because they will also email this out to you. So I get it on email. Every morning I open it up, read the scripture, read the devotion, read the prayer, and it helps set the tone for my day, uh, beginning with an act of worship. These booklets have been available for decades, and our church certainly makes them available to members one of the people that took advantage of this for a long time was Mary Detmering. Uh, I asked Mary's family permission to share this story. Uh, I talked about it at her funeral, and some of you heard it there. But the day that Mary went in the hospital was October 11th. October 11th, and she stayed at the hospital until she passed away. And her family then, going through the house, found her Bible sitting right by the chair. If you ever went to see Mary, you know the Bible was right there by her chair. And they opened the Bible... And inside the Bible, the upper room was open. And it was open to October 11th, the day that she went to the hospital. So the very last day in her home on Georgia Avenue, she had read the upper room for that day. Kathy told me, her daughter told me that story. And that got me curious as to what was the upper room devotional for that day. So I found an upper room, and I opened it up to October 11th. 
And this is the psalm that was in there for the day. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you take me into glory. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you take me into glory. And I read the devotion. I had read it on the 11th, but I read it again. Let me share with you a little bit of the final paragraph. He said, the writer who's from Australia said, I thank God for the many people who have acted as spiritual guides to keep me on the path of faith. I also thought about how important it is for me to act as a guide for those whose lives I touch. I pray constantly that I will stay on the path that leads to eternal life and that I may lead others to God as well. I read that at Mary's funeral and I said, Mary Detmering stayed on the path that led to eternal life and led others on that path as well. That was Mary. Part of the reason she was able to do that so faithfully is because for her, every day, all of life was an opportunity to worship. And one way she did that was with these little upper room devotional books that our church provides. God is doing great things. God is doing signs and wonders through ministries of worship. Not just on Sunday morning or our prayer service of prayer and healing today or our Thanksgiving service next week. Not just when we gather together, but through all of life. Because all of life is called to be an act of worship. Are you ready to pray for boldness? I hope you are, because God is doing great things. The scripture this morning is about the apostles praying for boldness in light of God doing signs and wonders. So I want to challenge you this morning. Pray for boldness. Pray for boldness of faith. Pray to be bold in your prayers. And yes, pray to be bold in the active area of stewardship. Because it is through your stewardship, not only of your money, but of your time and your resources, your talents, that we create an environment in this place for God to do signs and wonders. As we talked about connecting with God's kingdom now, we provide that, that space to do that through stewardship. So this week, if you've already gotten your card or as you have re- get it this week, prayerfully consider what God is calling you to do boldly as God continues to do signs and wonders around us. Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks and praise for all that you are doing in us, among us, and through us. Give us the heart and the will, dear God, to be a part of the great work that you're doing in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.